1: Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Antibia.
0: You know, our generation was called the me generation because people were just so convinced that all we wanted to do was make a lot of money and work on Wall Street. And I thought that that was just so misplaced and that I was one of thousands of people searching for something that would enable us to make a real difference in the world. I saw these investment banks and management consulting firms banging down the doors of liberal arts graduates like myself, asking us to commit just two years to work in their firms. And I thought, why aren't we being recruited just as aggressively to commit just two years to teach in urban and rural communities? Um, and that was, that was really the beginning of my obsession with this idea.
1: That was Wendy Kopp, whose big idea was that all children, no matter where they live, deserve a good education. In 1989, while she was still a student at Princeton, she created Teach for America, the enormously successful program that signs up recent college grads to teach in underserved schools for two years, a sort of Peace Corps for education. In 2007, she took her mission international by launching Teach for All, I'm Alain Verveer and this is Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. We are bringing you 100 of the world's most inspiring and history-making women you need to hear. Wendy Kopp has been called the leader of a revolution in education. Teach for America can boast more than 64,000 alumni and has created a network of leaders who are working to improve children's education in the United States. And around the world, Teach For All has helped boost education and develop leaders through local partnerships with organizations ranging from Teach For India, to Teach For Peru, to Teach For Nigeria, you name it, across 60 countries. Along the way, Wendy Kopp has been honored with just about every award you can think of. From the Time 100, to Glamour's Woman of the Year, to the Skoll Award. Listen and learn why Wendy Kopp is one of Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. I'm just delighted to be speaking today to Wendy Kopp, the founder of Teach for America and also the CEO and co-founder of Teach for All. Wendy, it's an absolute pleasure to be able to speak with you. You are indeed an inspiration. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here. You've started two major organizations, and both revolutionary, I might add, uh, in the world of education. So Teach for America, many of us know young people who've been involved in it, and then there's Teach for All. What is the overall goal that links them, and uh, how would you describe their mission?
0: Well, Teach for All is really a global network of independent organizations in in now sixty countries and and growing that, like Teach for America, um, are all working to develop collective leadership to ensure all children fulfill their potential. I think what brings everyone together in this network is a belief that the fact that the circumstances of children's birth predict their outcomes in life is a very big systemic challenge. And and that requires, you know, it requires collective leadership, it requires people exerting leadership at every level of the education system and policy and around the whole ecosystem around kids, um, If if we're going to change that and actually build a world where all kids have the chance to thrive. And so, each of these organizations shares an approach to cultivating that leadership, um, as you say, by enlisting promising leaders and committing at least two years to teach um, in, in, in under-resourced communities and investing in their leadership, um, knowing that those two years fuel a lifetime of leadership and advocacy um, and, uh, you know, in pursuit of the systemic changes that, that are ultimately necessary.
1: Do the member countries in Teach for All uh, do they have programs comparable to Teach for America?
0: I should maybe back up and explain how this all came about, how Teach for All came about. Because, as you say, I mean, I started Teach for America, and I really had my head down, fully focused on tackling the massive inequities in in the U.S. I wasn't thinking at all about the rest of the world, um, but there was something in the water about fifteen years ago, and Within one year, I had met 13 people from 13 different countries, from India to Chile to China to Lebanon, et cetera, um, who were just determined that something similar needed to happen in their countries. And so that is really, I mean, they were looking for help, and that seemed very overwhelming, given that I had my hands full in, in the U.S. Um, but ultimately, that led to the idea of launching Teach for All as a network of independent, locally led, governed, funded organizations that would all share this common purpose, a common um, approach, um, and, and that would have a global organization to help us all learn from each other.
1: Terrific. Uh, That makes a whole lot of sense to uh, network in that way and enhance uh, what each is doing. So, I know that um, you've written that what is behind all of this is the need to rethink the purpose of education, to, if you will, reimagine education. What do you mean by that?
0: Mm. You know, about five years ago, I think we had grown from Teach for America in the US and Teach First in the UK, which was the first kind of adaptation, to then having 40 of these independent organizations from Teach for India to Teach for China, et cetera. Um, You know, and, and there was such a push across our network to say, ultimately, what do we mean? I mean, we started with a vision that one day all children would have the chance to attain an excellent education. And I think there was just such a healthy push from all across our network to say, what do we mean by excellent education? And so, we came together in this process probably five years ago now to ask ourselves, what are we working on together? Like, what's our 25-year vision? And that process really brought to all of us the reality that if if our students today are not developing as leaders who can shape a better future for themselves and for all of us meaning navigate a changing economy and pursue meaningful careers and solve increasingly complex problems that face their communities and our mm-hmm. global society then then there's just no hope for reaching any of our aspirations and so that became you know our vision to say you know we want to reach the day when all kids have the education and support and opportunity to shape a better future for themselves and all of us, um, and and that led us to spend a lot of time over these last five years really thinking about what that means for all of us. You know what does that mean for teachers and for schools and and systems? Like what would we have to be doing? in order to develop students in that way. And and so when we say we really need to reimagine education and reinvent the system, it's because, you know, we've really come to think that we will need to do that if we're going to, in fact, develop students, you know, to that end.
1: And when you started Teach for America, was that in your uppermost mind already back then?
0: Actually, I, I you know, I started Teach for America because I had Become disillusioned of the idea that that my country is is a land of equal opportunity. You know, I had, I think as a concerned college student um, and as a public policy major, had just come to understand that the circumstances of kids' birth, their economic background, their racial background, um, really predicts their their outcomes. Um and And I wanted to do something about that. And I I realized I wasn't alone. I mean, I really felt that I was one of just thousands of of people out there, pragmatic idealists, you know, who wanted to be part of something that would actually address that reality. And so, that's what inspired the idea of Teach for America. And I think it led me early on to think in terms of equity, you know, um, like, we need to catch kids up, like, you know, kids don't have equal opportunity to excel. And and thus, we have these massive, you know, achievement gaps. Um, But ultimately, I think, and and it didn't take too long to start realizing that catching kids up in in an outdated system, you know, isn't enough, and and that ideally, we would be developing students who could actually Ultimately, challenge the very roots of inequity. Um, so I think those thoughts were bubbling up at Teach for America and really all across our network, and it's it's really what led us to then say we need to rearticulate what we're working towards. You
1: know, it's it's just uh, stunning to think about the fact that you were only twenty-one years old uh, when you uh, really um, incubated Teach for America. That was some thirty years ago now, I guess, and. Mm-hmm. And in the process, not only worked to address these massive inequities, but also to inspire a whole host of young people to pay their own experiences forward, if you will, to really engage in this way, both idealistically and pragmatically. So it's, it's quite an achievement. You know, here on a uh, hundred women to hear, we're, we're really interested in what catalyzed the kind of leadership that you and so many others manifest—was there something in your childhood or in your
0: upbringing that set you on this path? You know, I think one thing was that you know my parents, who had you know grown up in 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 rural communities in the Midwest and had kind of put themselves through college and had started a very small business, you know, really prioritized education. Of, of my brother and I, and, and, you know, moved into a community sort of on, on initially the edge of a community that, that had really strong public schools. And as a result, um, you know, I, you know, I I experienced what it is to have a, a strong public education. And and then I went off to Princeton and and I I was very conscious of the fact my senior year in college that I felt like the whole world was open to me. I literally thought I could do anything. And that thought made me want to put my energy into education. I think just realizing how much freedom I felt because of of the opportunities I'd had and and recognizing that not everyone had those same opportunities um, is what led me in this direction. And and I will say, I mean, I kind of knew myself. You know, I knew that I was just kind of wired to work incredibly hard at whatever I was doing, and I wanted to make sure that I didn't work on something that wasn't going to make a meaningful difference. Like I, I really was very clear on that. By the time I got to my senior year in college, like I want to make sure that I'm doing something that will actually make a meaningful difference in the world. Um, So I think those things came together to lead me to this sense that I was just searching for something I wasn't finding. And, you know, our generation was called the me generation um, because people were just so convinced that all we wanted to do was make a lot of money and work on wall street. Um, And I thought, that that was just so misplaced, and that I was one of thousands of people searching for something that would enable us to make a real difference in the world. Um, and, And that's really what led me to this particular idea. You know, I saw these investment banks and management consulting firms banging down the doors of liberal arts graduates like myself, asking us to commit just two years to work in their firms. And I thought, why aren't we being recruited just as aggressively to commit just two years to teach in urban and rural communities um, and that was that was really the beginning of my obsession with this idea well it was a very noble obsession and continues to be and
1: and clearly you touched a nerve why do you think so many young people across America responded the way they did back when and continue to do so what what is it about a teach for America that's been so successful and and so Catalyzing
0: and you know i 'll even broaden that because we're seeing that this is really a worldwide phenomenon I mean to see young people all around the world clamoring to to apply for you know teach for India or teach for Nigeria or enseña Peru etc um, and I, I think we're tapping into an instinct that's already there, meaning you know there's always a certain percentage of Real leaders out there among our kind of, you know, recent graduates who are who really want to do something that makes a real difference in the world, who want to be part of something much larger than themselves, and yet there are many pressures on them, you know, to to channel their energy in in one direction or another. Um, financial pressures, you know, kind of parental pressures, whatever it may be, and I think we're making it possible. For them to make this choice. And, and I think what, even from the very beginning, you know, I was so obsessed with this, not only because of what the impact could be during the two years, but because of what I thought the impact would be long term you know because people can commit just 2 years but you know they commit 2 years to banks and they never leave the banks so that was the real idea was to say let's ask people to commit 2 years but those 2 years will change everything their priorities their understanding of the realities of our country their commitment to this work and ultimately i thought at the time the consciousness you know of of our country
1: so explain to us how an individual who is interested in teach for america goes about it? What is the process? Uh, and then what do they commit to doing?
0: Uh, what do they get for it, if you will? How does that work? So, you know, for Teach for America or for any of these other network organizations, um, people from all different academic majors and, and backgrounds and career interests apply. And and the organizations look for people who who have demonstrated real you know, leadership and um, and 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 a commitment to to these issues, um, and then they invest a lot in their development through very intensive, essentially two year programs of professional and development, starting before the teaching commitment, and then you know the teachers are clustered in schools and receive ongoing coaching and professional development during the two years, and then beyond the two years. Um, there's quite an investment in, in kind of fostering the ongoing leadership of these folks, um, supporting them as they either continue in classrooms or become school leaders or work in their government ministries or launch social enterprises um, or, or or just really think as individuals and collectively about what more they believe needs to happen to take to take the issues on that that they saw play themselves play out in their classrooms.
1: And are they accepted the same way as uh, schools accept the Teach for America teachers?
0: Is it similar in India, in the UK, et I mean, each of these organizations has has kind of adapted this approach to their particular context. Um, and in each case, um, though, I mean, I think I think you we could say yes. I mean, there are new teachers coming into their school buildings. um, And, you know, they commit two years, and in some cases, they stay longer, in some cases, not. But one of the biggest keys to success is learning from and with and alongside the students and their families and the other teachers in their schools. And so, um, there's quite a focus and investment on, um, you know, really developing the teachers so that they are, you know, developing relationships and, and working in true partnership with the others in, in their schools. And that typically leads to a really mutually beneficial relation, you know, just really strong relationships at, at the school level.
1: Well, I know so many young people who went in to Teach for America, and truly it has been life-changing for them. Some have remained committed to education. Others have gone on to, um, really do extraordinary work in their communities or, um, in other ways. So it is, it is, it is truly life changing. I think that's a, a
0: real big component of it. We've really seen that. And, you know, just to give you to bring that to life a bit, um, if we look across the Teach for All Network, about something like 75,000 people have completed two year commitments to teach and 75% of them um, are still full-time long-term in education with others doing similar, you know, maybe they're working in policy or law, but they're focused on improving the quality of life um, in low-income communities. So, we've seen it be really transformative in terms of, of the priorities and career trajectories of the participants. But even beyond that, you know, there's there now is a growing body of research that looks at what happens to these teachers during the two years. And, and this research shows, and right now it's across five different countries, it shows that, you know, first of all, the teachers believe much more in their students and in their potential and in the students' families at the end of their two-year commitment, even than they did at the beginning. Um, and, and also it shows that they shift from viewing the problem as, as kind of a technical problem to understanding the problem in its full complexity so that ultimately they understand the nature of the problem and the solutions in a, in a way that's very similar to the, the way people with the lived experience of the, the inequities view the solution. So, what we're seeing is that this experience really shapes them into the leaders we need, you know, people who have a sense of possibility, who believe in their kids, who understand the complexity of the issues and the complexity of the solutions, and who, are, who have deep commitment to this work long term.
1: So very true. And, and what a tremendous um, investment it, it makes beyond education, uh, going to the root of other issues that have to be addressed because of these inequities. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear will be back after this short break.
0: He scored. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may
1: apply. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. So some 17 years after you started Teach for America, you started Teach for All. You told us a little bit about what it does. Can you tell us what went into that process and how it came about and maybe uh, how it works?
0: Each of the organizations in, in the Teach for All network are united by certain principles. We have, you know, 10 unifying principles that, you know, or you could write on half a page of paper, but they say a lot. Um, And they're, they're, they represent commitments to, as I said before, a shared purpose and and theory of change and and vision um, and also to the kind of high level programmatic principles and and organizational principles. So there's a lot that brings us together, but it's at the level of principles and and commitments Um, and And nothing is prescribed in terms of how to live into those principles. So each of these network partners are are you know deeply rooted in in their own context and and, you know, work to adapt this approach in ways that make the most sense. Um, and then we have a global organization that is is just all about supporting those network partners to learn from each other. And so I think what we've seen over time is that you know is just the power of a, of a, of an approach like this to lead to deeply rooted you know locally rooted but also globally informed um, practice and and we see that at the organizational level but now also at the level of of the teachers and the alumni of these organizations who are you know again both locally rooted, but also part of networks of, of you know, teachers and, and alumni pursuing similar agendas in, in different communities around the world. And we've just seen that, um, we've seen the tremendous potential, let's just say, of, um, of, of that approach in, in fostering and fueling innovation and the spread of innovation and, and ultimately accelerating progress. So it has this extraordinary
1: ripple effect that goes on to exponentially affect so much more. So in the process of doing all of this, you're clearly developing leaders who bring change to their communities and beyond. You know, at at Seneca, we're so focused on women's leadership. Does Teach for All go about developing
0: girls and women as leaders in any particular way? We do. We have developed over time a girls education initiative um, because, you know, many of our network partners are are working in countries where, you know, girls are, are some of the most marginalized in, in the world, you know, from Afghanistan to to Pakistan to Sierra Leone and Nigeria and Nepal, et cetera, where, um, you know, the 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 I, I guess you know we just see girls attending school and persisting through school and and the expectations of girls just at a totally different level. And what we've seen is that you know whether girls have the chances they deserve has everything to do with whether there is a local leader and advocate in that local community who is is working towards those ends um, and I've personally seen you know so many of the teacher leaders across our network have have a truly transformative effect on the expectations and possibilities for girls in their community. So seeing that, seeing, you know, I think about some of the villages in Nepal at one point, a few years ago, I was able to meet with successive cohorts of, of teaching fellows in, in a particular village in Nepal who had, had taught over a period of seven years in this village. And, they shared what the expectations of girls were when the first cohort arrived versus when the last you know, who it, it was still there, it was was there. And it's just like complete transformation. You know, they watched their girls go off and get the most prestigious scholarships in, in the country after, you know, when, when in the beginning, they weren't even thinking that their girls should attend school. So, we've just seen the transformative effect and that led us to create a girls education fellowship. So, we've You know, really invested in hundreds of the teaching fellows across our network who are working in these settings in exposing them to the knowledge, the mindsets, the understanding to pursue essentially gender sensitive education. Um, And and we're working to to expand that effort now as as we speak. In fact, you do
1: unlock so much. You know, as you were speaking, I was thinking about the fact that uh, talent is universal but opportunity is not. And you really are an opportunity provider in so many ways in what you do, and it it makes such a difference. I'm wondering, since we're all still recovering and others are still going through um, the brutal consequences of the pandemic, how has it affected Teach for All's operations around the globe?
0: You know, first, I would say, I, I think, well, to, to state the obvious, that the situation has just compounded and exacerbated the inequities that that we're addressing. It has also, I think, been very affirming for our network in the sense that, you know, we saw the teachers and alumni educators across our network just lean in to keep their own students safe and learning and then Very quickly, you know, be enlisted by their government ministries and others to keep many other kids learning, whether through leveraging radio and TV or creating the kind of digital schoolhouses, the libraries of of videos and podcasts and all that any teachers and students and parents could access to, you know, literally training tens of thousands of other teachers in digital learning strategies. Um, so I think on the one hand, it's been very affirming for the the kind of types of people, like the leaders our network partners are developing. Um, and, and at the same time, it's it's really shown us the value and the impact of having a network that enables those local leaders to learn from each other. I mean, we just saw solutions flying across our our network. Um Back in March, when, when the pandemic became a truly global phenomenon, you know, we had overnight 1,500 teachers and teaching without internet, WhatsApp groups in four different languages, just sharing solutions. Um, you know, we saw the Teach for Nigeria teachers go to their government and say, the only way we're going to keep our kids learning is if we can take over the government radio station. and And we sent that out across our network and soon many other folks, I mean, the Chilean Alumni, sixty of them came together and said, "That's what we're going to do." And and now they've they've built a lasting radio, you know, programming that's on two hundred radio stations. So we just really saw how much we can accelerate progress through through t- you know having both locally rooted leaders who are also who also have platforms to learn from each other. Um, but I would also say this has been an era of so much learning and and so much innovation, just as as all educators, including those across our network, you know, stepped out of the box that has defined education for, you know, decades and decades and, and had to resort to new means to keep kids learning. And I think we've seen just new mindsets about the power of leveraging technology, the power of engaging in a still deeper way with parents and the importance of integrating at every stage, social, emotional learning and and a focus on student well-being. Um, So, we're very focused as we go forth on both thinking about what we can do to continue growing a force of extraordinary leaders committed to this issue, you know, developing a still more interconnected and learning global community and essentially anchoring those innovations. You know, how can we not go back to a status quo that wasn't meeting the needs of all kids? How can we leverage the new mindsets and and the new innovations to come back differently in a way that really sets kids up, um, you know, to shape a better future for themselves and for all of us?
1: Yeah, and I think it's going to be really important because in in so many uh, poorer countries in particular, Girls in the lockdown obviously left school, and it's calculated that millions and millions uh, of them uh, may not go back. Uh, And so your network, I think, is also going to be extremely uh, essential in trying to find those innovative ways to ensure they're back in the classroom. Yes. and, And
0: whether they do come back will, again, have so much to do with whether there are local you know, teachers and 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 others in their communities who are determined to bring them back. You know, I think about a conversation not too long ago with the Teach for Afghanistan fellows, these women who are working in the Nangarhar and Parwan regions of, of Afghanistan, and they were talking about their experience, and I was realizing how much time they spend essentially in working to you know, convince families, inspire families to send their girls to school. And I remember just talking to them and saying, How often are you successful? Like I was thinking, gosh, is it like half the time? Or and they looked at me so confused. They said, Of course we're always successful. Like we're <laughs> from the communities. People trust us. And and that was so striking to me. You know, we have our perceptions from a, from afar, but with I've just really come to see that with enough local leaders committed to ensuring that opportunity is equally distributed, we really can change mindsets and, 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 and change the reality for, for a whole, you know, for future generations of kids. That's a wonderful story.
1: You know, given that, uh, and the operations that uh, you're involved in, the, the network, the extensive network around the globe, do you think you're creating, in some ways, a more effective model for foreign assistance, a better way, for example, for richer countries to be um, more supportive
0: of poorer countries, particularly in education? I've thought so much about this over time. Um, you know, I guess what I've seen through our work is just the power of really intentional efforts to cultivate local leadership. Um, And, you know, I think so much about what it would take to shift our international aid paradigm from one that is intervention-led, meaning, like, people from afar think of and and see evidence that interventions work and they work to spread them to, quote, developing contexts. Like, what if we shifted from that towards an approach that was you know, people first. That first decided to prioritize the the investing in the the agency and the leadership development of the people in developing contexts, so that they could can actually develop the contextualized solutions. And you know, from what I've seen, that's the path to truly sustainable change. Um, so we're in fact working with a. a Group of other like minded organizations um you know and and donors and and other kind of stakeholders in the in the international aid system to really think about what it would take to shift in that direction, what it would take to to like sizably increase our focus on advancing the leadership of of the people who themselves are um are are in the in the local communities. I mean to me that's that's the promise of of this effort at an even bigger level. You know, this has been
1: such a rich conversation Wendy and I'm so grateful to you, but let me ask you one final question since we've already exhausted our time together. It would be really wonderful to know what gives you hope? What makes you optimistic? Obviously, you have develop these extraordinary programs that have such impact at home and around the world, and you've seen much that has come about because of them. What gives you great optimism?
0: You know, um, I feel so lucky to see every day um, just a group of people who who are just so deeply committed to pouring everything they have into creating a more equitable world. And I think that's what gives me optimism to see, you know, young people, recent college graduates and allies, you know, all over the world, clamoring to put their full-time energy into the communities in their country where their energy is, is needed most. And then in turn to see, you know, the students and young people growing up today who have so much leadership potential and, and are already exerting that leadership, which I think we've seen during this pandemic era in, in spades. Um, so that's what gives me optimism, um, is, is just to be surrounded by so many people with just infectious, deeply, you know, deep commitment.
1: Well, thank you so much, Wendy Kopp. You have certainly enabled so many to have that potential you just talked about be tapped uh, because of the work that you've done over at least three decades now to make a difference. We are so grateful to you. May it continue uh, and may you continue to prosper.
0: Well, thank you so much. So appreciate your vote of confidence. Um And, yeah, really appreciated the conversation.
1: That's the kind of bold vision that gives us all hope for the future. Here are three things I took from that conversation with the remarkable Wendy Kopp. First, no matter where you go, people want to create positive change in their own communities. As Teach for All shows... Local people and governments working together will find the most effective ways to make education and opportunity widely available. Second, education is transformative, and not just for students. Wendy says that after two years in a Teach for All program, the teachers believe much more in their students and their potential and they have a greater understanding of the possibilities of the educational system. In essence, they transform into true leaders and champions of children. Finally, when a country educates its girls, everyone benefits and mindsets change. Wendy told about communities in Nepal that used to believe girls did not belong in school. That changed after girls started attending classes and winning the most prestigious scholarships in the country. Education is the key to opening up so many possibilities for girls. Tune in next Tuesday to hear about our next featured woman and discover why she's one of Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear is a collaboration between the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio with support from founding partner p